Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. I'm Ben Simon. I'm Jesse Spur. I'm Jess Stokes Parish, and you're listening to Simulcast. Connecting the healthcare simulation community. Uh, welcome to Simulcast. I'm Ben Simon, and I'm here tonight on what we just found out is the seventh anniversary of the podcast uh, in total. And we're going to have a fabulous discussion about a paper from International Journal of Healthcare Simulation entitled Simulation for Social Integration. And I'm really excited to chat about this because we often talk about simulation for educational purposes or for quality improvement purposes, and certainly some cultural interventions as well. But I'm really looking forward to diving deep onto how SIM can specifically help us connect people together. And we're very lucky tonight to be joined by multiple people. We've got the authors of the paper, uh, Sam Smith and Vicky Talentier, as well as uh, Simulcast resident anthropologist Eve Purdy. So I know it is going to be a good chat. Uh, just to orientate our listeners, Sam is a GP in Edinburgh and a simulation facilitator and researcher at the Scottish Centre for Simulation in Central Scotland. And Vicky is a consultant physician and associate director of medical education in NHS Lothian and an associate postgraduate dean for nhs education for scotland and she also facilitates and researches uh simulation at the scottish center for sim uh so starting with vicky and sam how are you guys going yeah we're really good thank you good thanks thanks for having us ben uh yeah we're really chuffed to have you and it's so nice to have you together on the one couch in scotland while we're while we're uh chatting away from uh slightly warmer brisbane i assume uh and we're also lucky enough to be joined by eve eve how are you going Ben, uh, I'm just happy to be celebrating the seventh anniversary of Simulcast tonight. Well, I saw the photos of the cake and they, I am a little bit jealous that I <laughs> am nowhere near the cake because it looks amazing. So bravo. Um, alrighty. So let's jump in. I'm going to just start with a quick summary of the paper, if that's okay. So this was an essay published recently in the International Journal of Healthcare Simulation that explores how SIM can be used for social integration. The article describes what social integration is, although it turns out defining it can actually be pretty complex. In essence, it's been described as a process that enables engagement of all people to participate together in processes that build capacities for connectedness and citizenship moving forward. And the authors provide a nicely synthesized model for three different types of categories of social integration, which we're going to explore tonight. One is the absorption of newcomers. Two, being the merging of two or more groups. And three, being the increased social cohesion that can be generated from an initially disparate group that lacks unity. And Sam and Vicky then take us through four real-world examples of simulation services that are working to generate some sort of social integration. And in doing so, use those examples to kind of sneak in some additional models and theories around social integration from the social sciences. It's a really lovely article, very approachable read that I'd strongly recommend. And I'm really looking forward to just walking through some of those ideas in more detail tonight. Uh, so if it's okay, Sam, we might start with you. At, at the heart of this paper is really this idea that SIM can be a tool for social integration. And I was wondering if you can unpack for us what led you to thinking so much about this topic and uh, why you think it's so important for simulation in healthcare teams. Yeah, um, thanks, Ben. So social integration is a topic that Vicky and I have been interested in for a really long time. Uh, we've worked together since 2010. That's when we started our doctorates together. And our early research looked at some related concepts. 
So my work on medical students' workplace learning explored the importance of building relationships on the wards. And Vicky's work with newly qualified doctors explored identity formation. And these concepts of relationships and identity are closely connected to integration. We've switched our focus over the last few years to simulation-based research, and we thought that our interest in integration was less relevant. But we picked this up again when we became involved with a really interesting simulation program, which is uh, the Refugee Doctors Programme. And when we started to investigate refugee doctors' workforce integration, we noticed a lot of parallels with some of the other simulation programs that we're involved with in terms of how they influence relationships and belonging. That's when we started to think again about social integration. What does it really mean? Uh, Why might simulation help with integration? And so that's where this paper came from. So I, I didn't realize that you were in ro- involved in the Lothian program, uh, training refugee doctors and helping them integrate. It was a really interesting uh, project. How did you find it? Oh, it's been an absolutely fascinating project to get involved with. It's actually a, a partnership between the Scottish Centre for Simulation and the Bridges program, which is a charity in Glasgow, uh, with some input from the VAST team in Canada as well. And uh, I, I was not responsible for setting it up at all. I was invited onto the team. Vicky and I have been doing some research around that. And um, it's just been an amazing thing to be part of. Oh, brilliant. And uh, so I guess what I'm hearing is that these were th- theories and ideas that you've been talking about and researching for a while. They went on a little bit of a back burner and then, you know, real life experience reignited that passion. And Eve, I'm curious, you know, if we put your anthropology hat on, what sort of struck you when you were reading this paper? The thing that really struck me uh, was just how much we uh, have to gain when we apply theory to our work. Uh, And I think what this paper so nicely demonstrated uh, is that if we just take a step back uh, and think about some theoretical underpinnings for the programs that we're running uh, or for the objectives that we are interested in achieving, uh, we then can uh, be a little bit more deliberate about what things look like um, and hopefully be more successful in uh, achieving what we want to. Uh, so this, I, I agree with you, it was so accessible in the writing style. So I think people hear theory and they go, oh my gosh, this is going to be complicated or it's, you know, I don't need that for my work. But um, this team here showed just uh, how wonderfully uh, kind of simple theory can be applied to um, the work either that we're doing already or maybe hopefully work that we're planning uh, as we move forward. Thanks so much. I agree. It's kind of a, a sneaky little Trojan horse, I'd have to say, when I read the paper of just how much theory you managed to pack into that article. And it's just beautifully kind of drip thread in with each case that slowly scaffolds up uh, an understanding of the complexity of some of these ideas. So uh, I'm wondering if we could move now to you, uh, Vicky, if we just run through these cases in turn, the paper identifies three common forms of social integration. And I was wondering if you could maybe break those down for us and explain why you made that distinction between them. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I think Um, As you mentioned at the beginning, we sort of identified three different types of social integration, if you like, but actually in reality, they're overlapping and they often coexist. Um, So it's not quite as 
straightforward as, as is described in that paper. But essentially, the first type really is about absorption of newcomers. So, for example, the new kid at school, I think we can all relate to that. Um, the second type really is about merging of two or more groups. So, for example, um, two soccer teams that maybe don't have enough players individually and they merge together um, and the effects of that level of integration. And then the third type, as you, as you mentioned briefly, is about increasing group cohesion. So an example of that might be, say, disparate individuals playing games online um, but coming together in a sort of online community to play collaboratively and, and compete against each other. Um, so that was the sort of different types of social integration that we, the, the way that we frame the paper to try and get people to maybe think more broadly about the potential dimensions of social integration and the types of scenarios where it might be really relevant. And I think that if we're going to meet the needs of our healthcare practitioners um, and the community around that, either through SIM or through any other type of educational venture, then we really do need to understand the dimensions of, of social integration, I think, and perhaps the, the power that SIM in itself holds to facilitate that process. And I think, um, as Eve kind of highlighted, the intentionality of that can be really powerful. And I think we've sort of reflected on and shared some of these ideas before and some of the interrelated uh, concepts like cultural compression. But uh, I agree there was this highlighting of the fact that maybe going in with that deliberate intent and purpose for that simulation to achieve those uh, more relationship goals uh, would have a lot of power. So I'm wondering if we could just sort of walk through the cases now. And, and Sam, the first case in the paper highlights work from the Scottish Centre for Simulation, which we've briefly alluded to, uh, to help refugee doctors familiarise and prepare themselves for working in the NHS. And I was wondering if you could just sort of take us through the program and then secondly, what's happening at a social level in that example, referring to some of the models you allude to. Yes, <clears throat> Sure. So uh, I've told you a bit about the collaboration that led to the Refugee Doctors Programme and uh, the Refugee Doctors come to the programme when they've finished up most of their exams and they're just almost at the point of looking for jobs. Uh, so one aspect of social integration that's relevant to refugee doctors is the concept of cultural competence. <clears throat> that resonated with us because our simulation program incorporates some specific learning objectives around cultural expectations, but this topic often crops up in informal discussions as well. For example, the doctors uh, often talk about hierarchy within the hospital. They talk about gestural communication and the role of families. And we think that simulation might help with cultural competence competence because of Eve's lovely concept of cultural compression. That's this idea that during simulation, there are some times when the values and beliefs are more obviously identifiable and that simulation can help us to transmit culture to participants. Our thinking has moved along a fair bit uh, since we wrote this paper and we now consider the framework that we use to be missing a crucial aspect, which is identity work. Uh, refugee doctors need to navigate changes in their cultural, social and professional identities. And these identity shifts which occur internally are often precipitated by conversations 
and the naturally reflective nature of debriefing conversations make them a great way to start helping people to pick apart their own self-identification and start considering how they're going to identify in their host countries. And we're working on a paper at the moment to try and explore those aspects a bit further. So that's how I think that simulation might aid social integration when newcomers like refugee doctors are merging into an existing group. Thanks. And Eve, you were nodding. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we see this in action all the time uh, in kind of every simulation that we run, uh, particularly if there's newcomers to a group. Uh, we see kind of norms of a group being perhaps more explicitly explained or mentioned or talked about Uh in a way that maybe isn't as accessible in the workplace because there's not time to um, to discuss it. Uh, I guess part of me reflects that there's a little bit of risk in all of this as well. Uh, so as an anthropologist, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, as, you know, thinking about tools to uh, kind of aggressively enculturate people uh, into our way of doing things. Um, and so I, it, I guess it's just a moment of a bit of a pause for reflection uh, in thinking about uh, what maybe we have to learn from people that are coming into our system, uh, but also what we can teach them and how maybe this new, maybe the group at the end of the day looks a little bit different than uh, either one of these two kind of different camps. But um, it's, yeah, it, it does just make me feel a, a little bit uncomfortable, even though I think it's obviously very worthwhile and helpful and uh, good, but probably not entirely risk-free. I can imagine, uh, Sam and Vicky, that uh, you have seen some of that impact on the group as a whole through these experiences. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a really good point, Eve. I think that um, what we're noticing is that, you know, identity and integration are so intricately linked and that as people integrate into a new environment, it changes their identity, you know, particularly their professional identity for this group of refugee doctors. But actually having a really formed identity that resonate that fits comfortably within your new environment is really important for social integration too. So it's so it's definitely not a linear process and you know each each impacts the other in a sort of symbiotic way. So actually it's really complex and really fascinating. But I definitely think the group at, at the end is is different because of the integration of newcomers and perhaps some of the the values that that group hold changes with that process of integration. So it's certainly not the emphasis on changing the newcomer in and of themselves, but that how that they change as part of that integration process and how the group changes as a result is all really fascinating. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's not about letting go of an old identity, and as you say, it's not it's not about changing the person, but it's about um, helping people to realize how can I be myself in this situation? How can I integrate my identity, if you like? And can I ask from like a facilitation and a design perspective as well, if we're going in with that deliberate cultural learning objective, how does that change the shape of the sim, either from a design or delivery point of view? Well, I think in lots of different ways. Um, and I think it links back to what you've said about being really deliberate. So, for example, one of the things that we've learned through looking at theory and through our own work is that not all social interactions and connections are equal. 
um, and that actually there's different types known known in the literature as sort of bonds and bridges. So bonds are the the interactions between people who have a sort of shared sense of identity. So often that would be the participants in the sim. Um, and then the bridges are the connections formed with people from different backgrounds. So often th- that would be in our context, the simulation facilitators, for example. And so actually when you're designing the simulations, perhaps particularly the early phase of that, perhaps the icebreakers and things, certainly it's made us more deliberate about are we trying to strengthen the bridges or are we trying to strengthen the bonds with this activity? Like what is this aimed at and how is this helping our participants? And I think sometimes that's a level of understanding that I haven't reached before in the past and I haven't I've just thought oh this looks like a fun thing to do and everyone will get talking but actually perhaps that wasn't emphasizing the relationships and the connections that we were really focused on thank you all right well we might move on to the second case so Vicky case two describes a collaborative between pharmacists and junior doctors and it highlights a concept called surface level versus deep level attributes and the impact of team interdependence and I was wondering if you could break down those concepts for us because I actually found them really fascinating yeah they are really fascinating Ben so um We used a framework that talks about surface level attributes, as you say, and deep level attributes and their the impact on social integration. So surface level attributes are overt characteristics. So things like gender, age, ethnicity, um, in general, things that you can see. And deep level attributes are things like values and attitudes. So in general, things that are hidden. Um, And what we know from the literature is that dissimilarity of either surface or deep level attributes reduces social integration, as you might expect. But in the case of surface level attributes, and I think in our context, that would include professional group, for example, those effects are mitigated by a high level of team interdependence. But actually, when you have that situation, high team interdependence, it exacerbates or exaggerates deep level attribute dissimilarity. So the example that we've used is a collaboration between NHS Education for Scotland Pharmacy Directorate and the Scottish Centre for Simulation. And we ran a programme of interprofessional simulations for trainee pharmacists and medical students. And we did quite a lot of research, a sort of um, programme of research related to these particular interprofessional simulations. Uh, which really had a very high level of task interdependence. So no group was able to complete them alone. We interviewed both groups following some of these sessions. And what we found is that they did all of what we hoped. They challenged stereotypes, you know, participating in these sims together. They promoted genuine collaboration, decision-making, shared decision-making. But what we found that was fascinating is that there was a the, the sort of relationships between the groups were continually tainted by a social comparison that really favoured the medical students. And so actually that was a bit of a barrier to the social integration of these two groups. And for us, this has raised some really interesting questions about interprofessional simulation and how I think we often focus on the easy wins of bringing together people um, with surface-level attribute dissimilarity But actually, we rarely explore the really uncomfortable questions around 
the sort of deep level attribute dissimilarity that can really affect the way that these groups of people work together day to day. And it sounds like some of that stuff is uh, sinister is too strong a word, but it's quite hidden and so implicit that it must take a lot of work to actually expose some of those thoughts. And I can imagine it'd be a challenge to even name sometimes. Would you approach that differently now in terms of negotiating some of those deep level differences? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we individually interviewed all of these people so that we, that, and they, um, and they felt able to, I think, express their views, um, uh, at, at the end of quite an in-depth interview often and how that impact, I think what you're asking is about how that might impact on our future practice. And so I think that we can design simulations that maybe surface some of these attitudes. I think it's difficult and I think it's risky. Um, but I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of literature that shows that interprofessional simulation, just bringing people together to learn with from about each other and all of that is actually not enough to really challenge some of the deep level dissimilarity, the really strongly held attitudes that people have about different professional groups, for example. And so being able to surface that in a simulation debrief is really powerful um, and transformational for the way that people go on to work together but it is it, not without its risk and it's not without its challenges for sure yeah eve yeah i the this bit of the paper got me thinking so much about simulations that we already have on the go uh, and i'm inclined to think we probably don't have to design any simulations that are much different than what we have already going on uh but approaching that debriefing conversation like you said vicky with this uh, kind of awareness of some surface level and deep uh, level attributes that might be at play, which I think speaks to really understanding the groups that we're coming into to do simulation with. Uh, And so I think if we have some idea of what are these deep level attributes that might be a source of conflict, uh, that can be really powerful heading into the conversation. It's a bit interesting, I find, that we always focus on kind of uh, interprofessional differences. In the hospital, I see this playing out more as kind of craft group differences, like the emergency department versus the operating theaters versus uh, the medical wards, Uh, and less, a little bit less professional uh, and a little bit more kind of departmental, um, which is, uh, you know, interesting. And I'm sure there's many layers to the different surface level and deep level attributes and how that all plays out in different places. Uh, But I think even just this awareness and language will be really helpful as a, as a debriefer, as as naming this for people, if we're going to go exploring it. Hmm. And you do a lot of high performance teams work with sometimes relatively disparate uh, teams within the hospital. Do you refer to these or acknowledge these kind of deep level attributes in some of the work you do? Uh, well, not using this language until now. Uh, mm. I think we hope to get here with groups. One of the real challenges we have in healthcare is that I think we're not very honest often about what some of our deep level uh, kind of attributes and values are. You know, we all say that we want what's best for the patient. That's not always exactly true all the time. I think it's this aspirational goal, but in and amongst that are conflicting values of how we get there. Um, And so I think uh, challenging our groups and ourselves to really think about in a specific moment what we value and what our conflicting priorities are and how that plays out um, is, uh, is really powerful for teams. 
Mm. And I um, I can imagine as well, you mentioned risk before, Eve, but Sam and Vicky, I, uh, just to pontificate for a bit, like I think that that sense of medical superiority is sometimes at risk of being unconsciously transmitted within a lot of simulations that we do. And I know I continuously you know, go places and see, particularly in debriefs, this kind of implicit um, triage process of conversational prioritization where the medical goals, medical leadership, etc., is prioritized over other aspects of the team's performance. And I think what scares me a little bit is how tolerant everybody else is to that being done. And no one seems upset or offended, like it's just so normal. I know. And, and part of it might come down to who's doing the debriefing, of course, because so much of the time in interprofessional sim, uh, it might be you might have a leader of the debrief who's often the doctor in the team and then somebody else who's helping deep co-debriefing, but uh, they're, they're just leading, they're just doing a few little tangents rather than leading the main conversation. So I think that might be part of the solution to that problem is to have a variety of different debriefers leading on the debrief and taking it in different directions. But uh, we, we definitely noticed that dominance um in the the team the teams of trainee pharmacists and medical students and it was really striking to hear that the trainee pharmacists who had already graduated they were already practicing could still look to the medical students as oh they know so much more than I do and even them saying that in the debrief really really powerful because the medical students all of course sit back and go whoa of course of course we don't you know so much more than we do and just opening that conversation in itself is helpful i think yeah oh, fantastic so i guess what i'm hearing from this is we've got this idea of surface level and deep level attributes uh that are influenced by the level of team interdependence uh and that simulation can be used to help integrate those differences and integrate two groups with potentially very different deep level values but that also again as we dig into the nuance this is actually a pretty complex task and it requires some careful facilitation and reflection on our own facilitation techniques and the way we design and deliver and debrief these simulated experiences because the signals at a cultural level that we may be giving aren't necessarily the ones we anticipate even with good intention um Thank you so much for that. So I want us just to move now to that uh, another case. So uh, I want to just explore that last type of social integration, Sam. And so uh, you give an analogy of a group of disparate individuals who are coming together as one team uh, using a case from in situ simulation that demonstrates that working well. And I was wondering if you can talk us through that. Yeah, so uh, one of my main roles at the centre is to run primary care um, in situ simulations in GP practices in collaboration with an organisation called Create Fourth Valley. And the simulations involve the whole team, clinical and non-clinical, and they're designed to test systems for medical emergencies rather than having educational goals in mind. And we've had a lot of feedback about the positive side effects of the program, including a boost in morale and in group cohesion. And you'll remember group cohesion is another one of our categories of social integration, where you take a group of disparate individuals, as you said, and try and pull them together. Uh, so for this one, we looked at a framework 
from a report for the United Nations. And it puts a strong emphasis on social integration as a means of achieving equality and social justice. So it takes more of a critical theory lens than some of the other theories we've talked about so far. And this framework refers to the redistribution of resources, including power within groups. Uh, We thought it might apply here because we recognise some social inequality within healthcare teams that we've already been talking about so far. But in particular, in this example, uh, the GPs tend to hold the power and the other staff, particularly the non-clinical staff, have relatively little power. Simulation debriefers often aim to flatten the hierarchy and that shift in power dynamics might help to improve group cohesion by giving a voice to people who sometimes find contributing difficult. For example, the reception team in this case. And so that's how simulation in this context might help to improve social integration. Thanks so much. I uh, remember there's a lovely paper by Rose, I can't pronounce the French surname, Deodon or something, but she has that model of gift, like um, where when you are debriefing, you can either be a guide, uh, a facilitator, and a mediator or a teacher. And uh, it sounds like that within that kind of scenario where you are trying to flatten hierarchies, specifically mediating and ensuring that all uh, craft groups are represented, welcomed and valued at the table is a really important strategy to bring to our debriefs as well. Eve, I noticed you were nodding as well. I don't have uh, too much to add to this other than, man, we see this at play uh with all of the uh, in-situ sims that we do in the hospital. And I guess important to think about for all of kind of in each of these case examples and all the theories that we talk about uh, is that this is happening whether we want it to or not uh, and uh, is either happening in a uh, kind of direction that has positive impacts for our teams and for our groups or in a direction that has more problematic impacts. Um, And so this is not just something that we are either doing or we're, we're not, it's happening all the time in every simulation that we're uh, running and an awareness of, of managing that impact um, is probably a, a really important thing for every simulation facilitator. Did you guys ever read Wizard of Earthsea as a kid? No, this is me. No. <laughs> anyway, there are these like these magic books, but the like core concept within the books was that names have power and that if you have the true name of something, then you have power over it. And I think in many ways is such a great example of, of something that's happening all of the time at an unconscious level and the power of being able to name it, understand it and the theories behind it. And then hopefully that giving us the power to actually shift and shape it with intentionality rather than it just happening with the inherent risks that that, that brings. So it's a, a paper that I really enjoyed. You were reading some serious uh, books there as a kid, Ben. <laughs> I, w- I may have been one of those uh, children who needed a little bit of social integration sim in the playground. <laughs> but uh, so we've had like a deep dive now, Eve, through some social integration theory. We've come to the understanding that, you know, nobody will really uh, agree on what exactly that is, but that there is clearly this sense of interconnectedness uh, and uh the bringing together of people from different groups. And uh, we've kind of explored a number of cool simulation projects designed to build social integration. What do you think we do with this information in our sims on a day-to-day basis? 
Look, I think uh, one, recognizing that it's happening, uh, as I just said, and mm-hmm. managing those impacts. I think one of the most effective kind of pieces of language from this paper that we can really think about with every single simulation that we do uh, is, is this kind of for bonding or is this for bridging? Uh, and how are we designing the simulation and facilitating it to kind of move us towards uh, one of those goals? Uh, and then I think we do have the opportunity, uh, if we're getting really kind of bold, uh, to actually think about are are there some issues within uh, groups that we're working with that would benefit from a little bit more deliberate, proactive uh, simulation? I can give you an example around that. So uh, I would say in our emergency department in hospital, we have a very strong set of values uh, in the way we provide trauma care. Uh, and we expect that to be collaborative, um, and we expect that to be um, uh, very collegial. Uh, and we recognize that that doesn't just happen. Um, and so we've actually started a set of sims for social integration for new trauma fellows, uh, surgical fellows that come to the Gold Coast. Uh, and uh, it basically is two hours where lots of kind of senior people who are involved in the trauma service get together and we run some visually enhanced mental simulations with the very explicit kind of deliberate modeling uh, and um, explicit discussion about what are the values of this team and what does that ex- what does that translate to in the behavior when you arrive in the trauma bay. Uh, and um, most of the trauma surgeons, they come say, look, I've never had this anywhere else. Nobody has told me how we behave around here and how I can fit in. Uh, and that's come with a fair bit of relief. So I think uh, in our day-to-day sim, we can reflect on whether uh, we are forming bonds or bridges um, and what we're doing as facilitators to uh, impact uh, that. Uh, and then the next level would be thinking, are there specific uh, kind of issues or groups for whom I think some deliberate design, delivery and debriefing related to these topics will be particularly beneficial? Let's say bonds, bridges, and some rapid cycle deliberate kindness. I like it. Exactly. Um, Sam and Vicky, I'm just wondering, we'll, we'll probably close up the discussion now. Is there any key themes from your paper or things that you'd really like to emphasize for the listeners at home? Yeah, I think uh, for those who are designing simulations, just thinking about the power that simulation might have to improve relationships and to pull groups together. Um, and in particular, if you're designing interprofessional simulations, thinking about how you can point out um, deep level similarities, those shared goals and values, um, just like that one or just lovely example we are hearing about from Eve. But I'm also thinking about the deep level uh, dissimilarities between interprofessional groups and at least getting those out in the open, even if you can't address them in every single simulation. Yeah, and I guess for for me, um, thanks for having us. I guess that the all the examples that we present within the paper are examples of really uh, genuine and successful collaborations between the Scottish Centre for Simulations, spearheaded by the wonderful Julie Marden, um, and other organisations that are both uh, across Scotland but also beyond Scotland. And I think really what I've taken away from pulling those threads together in that paper is is not just the sort of power of theory to help our understanding, but really the power of collaboration. And by working in this way, how we've been able to access all these different groups and undertake some really exciting research 
uh, with groups that we, we we wouldn't ordinarily have had access to and, and be able to interact with. So, and, and perhaps through this process, ironically, you know, we've kind of facilitating our own social integration into this world of medical education and simulation-based research. And, and that's been a really exciting journey for us as well. I hope continues. Oh, that's lovely. I've got nothing to add. That was so beautifully said. So, uh, <laughs> Vicky, Sam and Eve, thank you so much for your time tonight. It was uh, really lovely to meet you and I uh, look forward to hearing more from uh, NHS Lothian and then the uh, Scottish Centre for Simulation. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. No All right. This is uh, Ben Simon signing off for Simulcast. Thank you for listening to Simulcast. 